You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Well, hello, hello, my lovelies. Uh, welcome to another episode of Gingerarchy. I am your host, Trisha Stewart Mann, and I have two incredible guests today. I have your longtime favorite anarcho-capitalist, true gamer phenomenon, um, economical ideas out the wazoo, Hody Johns. Hi, Hody. Oh, hype, hype. Thank you, Trisha. <laughs> <laughs> I like to give ridiculous uh, intros. And I also have Jeremiah Harding. Um, he's an j- independent journalist and... Um, I, somebody I would consider uh, an alter, alternative media journalist. Welcome, Jeremiah. Hello. Hey. I'm here to make people angry. Yes. Well, I love that. So, and Hody doesn't cuss, so you're going to have to like cuss twice for him. Right. <laughs> so um, a lot of people do know Hody, but they don't know you, Jeremiah. Uh, we're on the We Are Libertarians Network. So we have a lot of newer libertarians or people that are just interested in the ideas of freedom. I know that you're particularly an anarchist. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a cynical, pessimistic skeptic. I like, I I conspiracize a lot. I I talk about a bunch of shit that makes people uncomfortable and angry. And uh, most of my time is spent making enemies. So (laughs) the ultimate, like, like probably sum up is that um, I'm here to kill your sacred cows. (laughs) Oh, that should bring them right in. <laughs> right. Oh, so uh, you're um, about ultimately speaking truth. Uh, the rest be damned. Right. I mean, I don't. It, it, I'm also a solipsist, so I could be full of shit on all of this. Like <laughs> nothing could be real and I could be completely wrong. So like ultimately, I don't know if what I'm saying is true, but I try to match it against logic. I try to be like scientifically minded in my approach to things. And uh, ultimately, if I land where I think is reasonable, then I'll say that. Um, But, you know, I'm very willing to accept that I'm wrong when I can be proven wrong. And Mm -hmm. the facts are what I try to rely on the facts and what they likely lead to. Um, And that means that we're likely heading toward a bloody apocalypse, the likes of which will make revelations look like a children's story. Or everything could be okay. Maybe. (laughs) Either could happen. So uh, today we're going to talk about something. And to my listeners, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I am not a gamer. I'm not even a novice. Um, But I am a libertarian. I consider myself a libertarian anarchist. And so most people I know are because there's a lot of people in that space, mainly because of the age bracket of, you know, young uh, white men or young white professional men that are gamers. Not that, you know, you can't be outside of that scope and be a gamer. So I just happen to know a lot of them. And I happened to be dating somebody years ago before I was married who was talking about this controversy in the gaming world about, you know, SJWs versus traditional gamers and what was going on with sexism there. And I found it interesting because this was long before a lot of this happened in our political climate and culture. I would say probably around the uh, running between Trump and Hillary, I really saw it worse than ever. It really divided people. And then as well as in the libertarian movement and in the anarchist movement, um, people came really uh, ideologically divided. And I think that that goes to show something um, which I personally believe that politics is downstream from culture. So I think it was a bit of a foretelling 
of what would happen. So um, for those people that don't know what happens um, in the gaming world, if you could explain a little bit around that 2005 timeline, Hody, if you want to start there. Uh, sure. Like as far as what's going on with, with in relation to Gamergate, because so many yeah. cool things happened in, in uh, now when you say 2005, that's actually like, that's like a decade before Gamergate. You mean like 2014, okay. so, 15? So what started was um, there were some women in the industry that were complaining about harassment and things mm-hmm. like that. And then um, some women that actually work on developing games that oh, were yeah. complaining that there wasn't representation. Sorry. I'm not- yeah, no, I, I got you. So yeah, I can give you a little bit of a lead up here. Yeah. So um, a big one is kind of a, it had been written about a lot before this came up, but something called Women in Refrigerators. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that site is still active today. Um, and that that would kind of be the culmination of it. Now there was a lot of there was a lot of hints up to that point. And I don't think anybody is surprised that video gaming is kind of a male-dominated industry. Um, men are very likely to much more likely to admit to talking about playing uh video games. Um, generally when there is, uh, I was, I was searching through today as far as media and what they do is they keep tracks. You can click on like how many people interacted with this and the people interact with that, this, what are their kind of breakdowns? And I think the most like non-lopsided one you can find says that like 92%, as far as major, like we're talking Kotaku, Game Informer, um, you know, Game Rant, the Game all, all those sites, you know, I think it's 93, 92% male interactions and 8% female interactions. And so that's still true today. Of course, that was still true back then. It's becoming less and less true. Um, In fact, one of the things we'll probably talk about during this is how actually that's kind of a misnomer because even though men might be interacting more often, uh, women probably play just as many games. They just play different kinds of games. And a lot of games are even branded as like, hey, this is a woman game even before it happens. Uh, The Sims might be a very a, a popular one that actually has more female players than male players. Um, but they just have a certain type of games, uh, mu- music, video games, casual gaming, um, you know, t- tends to actually have just as many female gamers as male gamers. And uh, there are, uh, if odds are actually less likely that you listen to music, then you don't play video games, like whether male or women. Now, maybe you're saying here and you say, hey, that's I listen to music and I don't play video games. Well, that's great. But as far as the rest of the planet goes, male or female, you probably play. So we actually have had a lot of females. They've just been kind of shoved into this second class, whatever. And uh, there was kind of some analysis among, I mean, women in refrigerator specifically refers to a comic. Uh, it comes, it's a phrase that was designed. Uh, it it's comes from something that happened in the Green Lantern, where there was a woman uh, who the protagonist was in a relationship with who was killed and shoved into a refrigerator. And the contention was that female characters tend to act as plot devices that they only exist because it's like, Hey, I just want to further the man's story because they're more important. Um, there was a contending article with that, that talked about, Hey, men get killed all the time. Like check this out and, and check out how men also get humiliated. And, um, and those, and, and that, and there was actually a response even to that one that says like, but watch how these men like return to power and how their story still matters. Whereas these women just tend to be like, Oh, okay. Sorry, you got killed. Like that's too, that's the end of your story. Once you're di- once you're disempowered as like a woman, it's very difficult to get back into the mainstream. Just 
And that's just a tendency. Obviously, there's exceptions. There's a lot of exceptions to all of these things. What we have, what we're analyzing is we're talking about plots in literally millions of different stories that come to comic books and video games and kind of nerd culture. And you're just kind of looking at a lot of tendencies. Now, there's a reason that something gets as lopsided as it is. You know, we look at um, talk about a different industry female pilots, right? Like that's something that is not as common. It's something they're kind of like analyzing. Why is that not as common? And it's worth looking at. And I think it's similar to this as well. It, it all came to a head. Um, yeah. Like, like that's kind of the, the basic introduction that I can give is that there was a lot of this conversation going on and then it did come to a head um, when Gamergate kind of kicked off. Um, and I guess I can I can turn it to even Jeremy or you from there. But that that's as much of like as a ground floor of understanding, I think, as a casual listener that you need to know. OK, and so this leads to, um, you know, a couple well, different factions in the gaming community and stuff, but it's actually not Gamergate. So if Jeremiah, you know a little bit more about this, can you explain to us what Gamergate actually was? Well, first off, uh, I, I'd like to say that some of that wasn't true. Uh, okay. First off, the, the like it's not male versus female. That was never what Gamergate was about. Um, and in terms of the gaming like sort of industry, the females that were interested were already in gaming, and they didn't need help. They didn't need permission, and they didn't need support from games journalists. Um, there were plenty of female games characters. In fact, as part of the Gamergate thing, there was an entire video put out um, detailing female characters in video games that listed a bunch that most of these journalists had never heard of because they really just wanted to complain. Um, and ultimately, like, the females who wanted to uh, were already there. For instance, um, people who know me for my gaming and also pretty much anything else know that I'm very much a Sonic person. Um, I bring up Sonic an unhealthy amount and uh, I have absorbed like most of the Sonic related media because it's a good franchise and it comports with libertarian values. I make the point regularly that Sonic is libertarian propaganda because it is. He's always fighting a government. He's always fighting for freedom. He's always doing the independent individualist streak is fucking great. Um and like from the agorist perspective, which is part of my praxis, agorism, uh, the Konkanite idea of sharing fiction to promote libertarian ideals is very easy to accomplish with the Sonic franchise because it's all about freedom. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I wouldn't know about Sonic if my equally gamer sister hadn't have bought the games hadn't have bought a GameCube, and we hadn't spent a significant amount of time sharing the levels of Sonic. Um, she is the I'm into Sonic. She is the reason that I got into a significant amount of gaming, period. Um, I mean, I was into gaming already, but I was always into the cooler games. Like, I, I loved Splinter Cell and Silent Hill and dark shit. But Sonic was great also and it was fast and it kept my like attention um so i appreciated it like a lot but i wouldn't know about that if it weren't for my sister who was also into gaming she didn't do need you, anyone's permission she do didn't you believe any... that that's the rule or an exception i don't think there are rules they're video games you don't need a license to play 
I meant more so in the fact that um, most games are like Sonic uh, as opposed to, you know, other games where women are just sexualized. Um, so the, mean, they might be main characters and players or whatever, but you, one can't see those games that, without though. seeing giant boobs bouncing around and butt cheeks. <laughs> She, well, first off, she didn't care about that. And second off, she didn't play the games she didn't want to play because she she's not a mindless consumer. Um, and I think that most of the women who were in the gamer community felt disrespected by the idea that they needed somebody's permission, that they needed to follow the trends and be told what to like, um, or they wouldn't get what they wanted. They were already getting what they wanted, and that's why they were there. Now, people who didn't get what they wanted started to come in on the space and started to claim that it wasn't inclusive, but it was already pretty inclusive. It was including these people to begin with. For instance, another game that my sister and I would play, we would get the, the game link cable with our Game Boys and we would trade Pokemon. Pokemon is a gender neutral game because you play as whichever gender you want. There are no bouncing tits in Pokemon. So the, well, I mean, except the cartoon, the cartoon has some bouncing tits, but like, that's because it's a cartoon and not the game. We're talking games here. And ultimately there was plenty of inclusivity if you knew where to find it. And people who weren't willing to look for what they wanted complained that it wasn't the mainstream, but it wasn't the mainstream because the, the consumer demand wasn't there. As libertarians, we're demand side eco economists. We don't believe in the supply side. We believe that the demand for products will shape the economy. Uh, and we believe that it shouldn't be centrally managed or centrally approached. We believe that the demand will create the, like, the necessary market conditions by which ga like games or anything else can pop up according to like natural and organic forces rather than somebody's opinion. Right. Um, um, let me stop you there. So I suppose playing the devil's advocate, it would say that if something isn't out there, people don't know if they want it or not. So any game with a uh, different representation, like say, um, you know, gay, um, transgender or something like that, if those games don't exist, then how can people know if they want them? Hody, do you agree with Jeremiah pretty much on his um, diagnosis of what was happening and that it's pretty open and if women want to play it, they're going to be playing it anyway? Yeah, I guess Jeremy and I would have the uh, Jeremiah and I would have a pretty drastic disagreement on this one. I do okay. think that there is a. I uh, I know uh, compared to other industries, and I'm looking at a study right now that uh, women are three times more likely to receive um, sexual harassment, threats, uh, derogatory remarks as men are. I do think there is something in gaming specifically, and it's it's fine. I mean, like I said, there's airline stuff. Like these things happen. It, I shouldn't say it's fine, but we under like I think it's worth addressing why this is particularly toxic to women. Of course, you can find examples of misogyny everywhere. That happens when you descend from a patriarchal society. But I think in ga gaming is kind of one of those last ones to like keep up. There are things that we're working on that are getting better in gaming that kind of other industries have been through already. You know, like restaurants and in the you know, 50s and 60s were like, hey, maybe for like not allowing women to pay for their meals is stupid, you know, <laughs> and you're like, OK, well, that's yeah, that is dumb. But there are things like we're, we're kind of just dealing with it now. I know the lid's finally getting blown off, especially on some of these vi major video game developers have been covering up sexual harassment from their people for years. 
Uh, again, and, and you can always find examples of this. Like I said, like Harvey Weinstein and, and Larry Nasser, and, and, and you can find it somewhere else. And I think you, everybody is always going to have an experience that's a little bit different. And so I think that's why I kind of try to, I try to take in like all the bullet points because there are certain women that are like, dude, I don't even know what they're talking about. Like I, I, I've never been sexualized once. I've never received the misogynistic remark when I've been playing video games and streaming, you know, I, but I, I think it's important to see why, like, maybe that's, that's perhaps an outlier versus the others. Um, I know. Well, sorry, I'd be interested ahead. in your source. Like, uh, what, 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 like, why are you saying three quarters? Were th- were was the total interviewed? Was the total surveyed? What population did they pull from in order to come to these conclusions? How was the study done? Was there a study, or is this just a claim based on an online poll that could have been rigged? It's not an online poll. It's study based on something called digitized lives. Uh, again, I just looked it up since you were talking about what you were saying. I, I haven't tried to disseminated, I guess. And and I suppose that I could, I do think that there is something I can tell you just, okay. So from my experience as a gamer, you give your experience about how like why sexism might not be as big a problem in gaming as others. Let me give you some personal experiences why, how it is. So I, I write about video games. Uh, that is, that is my job for a living. And I am frequently, you know, asked to, to talk with and, um, content creators, um, many of which are female. In fact, uh, I, I think uh, something about like half of them are even female. Like like it's one of those few things in gaming that's like 50-50, um, which is great uh, that, that they're making such inroads. Um, but I can tell you just from me having observed them, been in their chat rooms and Twitch, there's a lot more people threatening to uh, do things with their bodies <laughs> than like with men, you know? Uh, and, and I, I've been in some very toxic, you know, male, of course, Twitch rooms where sometimes they're like, Oh, you know, this, but usually even that toxicity is towards other females that they happen to be playing with at the time. And then when you, you know, when you're in with a game gamer girl, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of charged <laughs> language that's sexualizing them. Now, sometimes they, and there are a few of them that even do it to themselves. We, I, I did one recently where we talked about Twitch's policies on um, non-sexualization, that they're like women in like swimsuits, that they put themselves out there as being sexualized. And you know what? That's that's them. They wanted to do that. So, of course, that's going to get like that. But I mean, there, there are girls who just sit there in a hoodie just playing the video games and I mean, at least once per session, it's a, you know, show us your tits type of thing. And it's like, oh, come on, man. Like please. once <laughs> per session of like how many participants, because if you're talking about statistics, once per, at least once per session is statistically irrelevant. If we're talking about actual numbers here, you have to look at the vast majority of comments and then you have to parse the comments out by individual commenter to see how many people, individual people, as a percentage of the commenters were actually misogynist because you're talking about like certain people in a chat and you're acting like because that one person did it, it taints the whole barrel, but that's not how comments work. They're each an individual person coming from that comment. And if you're talking about a community and you're boiling it down to harassment, uh, when you like then admit that like it could only be one comment per per session then you're you're basically throwing out um 
the 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 very large baby with the innumerably like tiny amount of bath water like the the like ultimate truth is everybody receives harassment in call of duty lobbies it became infamous for uh making kids cry mostly boys because of the amount of abuse that they would receive when women came upon this scene which was already pretty toxic in some places they claimed that it was misogyny but it's not misogyny it was never misogyny except like a very like decidedly small number of people it was always just a very toxic competitive environment competition breeds animosity hostility etc and the idea that because in this environment where people are competing to see who can blow each other's heads off the best or perform the best executions or, you know, blow each other's bases up or uh, destroy each other's defenses. This highly competitive environment, which is largely based on games that are digital versions of sports, which are like fictionalized versions of war, the idea that this all descends from war is much more credible as a theory than this all descends from patriarchy men evil. Um, the ultimate truth is that games are the result of a tally keeping system and simulations of war. And for the vast majority of games, which is why most of them involve some sort of fighting, for the vast majority of games, um, that's what it is. It's about competition. And people get cutthroat when they're in competition. So people say I want to things... interrupt you there, Jeremiah. Um, I did watch a documentary called GTFO. Have you seen it? No. It's a Vice documentary. Um, and of it was about it female is. gamers. And so what they would do is put a recorder device on top when they're gaming, just in their hoodies or whatever. And it would download all every time somebody said that. And so they did put that into a database. Um, it'd be something interesting for you to watch. I know, uh, you know, you can't be in every room playing game with every single person at the same time but i think that you might it might sway your opinion a little bit on the fact of how people get harassed um you know threats of rape i'm going to kill you i want to get you pregnant and then make you have a late-term abortion by beating your face in and killing you like things like that um this is vice though but, but, well the I did watch the documentary, which had the actual information and interviews, and you watched the videos and the recordings. So it wasn't like they went and made that fake. Like you could watch them playing the game. And they interviewed guys, good guys too, that were in the rooms were like, yeah, it gets pretty bad. So we try to kind of huddle around her and just, you know, try to push that out or whatever. So, I mean, I definitely think it's not just um, cherry picked information uh, to make a narrative. Some things can be, but I also think two things could probably be true at the same time. Um, there are people that are going to cherry pick information and make something out of nothing. And then sometimes this stuff happens and it's hard for people to believe because they haven't necessarily seen it or experienced themselves. And one thing I've learned in life is just because it doesn't happen to me doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Well, right. So, but the same could be said from the alternate perspective where the women have not experienced the harassment men have experienced. You know, that's something else I wrote down. I have a notepad document. I'm writing down notes here. Mm -hmm. um, that's something else I have written down. Most people in fiction where someone dies, most people who die are men. And it's on camera. You get a much more visceral murder experience when men die, and it's much more accepted. It happens frequently. You can watch war movies where men are blown to bits. And for the vast majority of women deaths in cinema, you don't get that visceral experience. It doesn't happen for the vast majority of women deaths in media. Uh, 
And this has been the case for decades and decades now. It normally have you ever happens- watched like Criminal Minds? Because I think they actually really play off the emotional response of a woman Criminal- being like, mutilated or something. I think it's Criminal- definitely used. Criminal Minds is relatively new, but it also doesn't show in graphic detail what happens. It doesn't show that on camera because then it would be R and it wouldn't be allowed on TV. So ultimately, uh, like men are the primary victims of, of violence in media. Um, and it's been this way for a long, long time. Um, and like the idea that it doesn't happen to men or that it, it happens to women more like the women in the refrigerator thing is a good example of what I'm talking about. It's when somebody is using selective information bias to come to a conclusion rather than actually looking at the full set of data. And in this particular case, like brutality in the real world happens to men more. Men are killed the most in the line of work. Men are injured more in work. Men take the most dangerous jobs by a vast majority. And the idea that because men are like uh, in control, this is a patriarchy, doesn't account for the fact that like the vast majority of people injured, killed, brutalized, given the shaft by the medical industry are men who got like the, the shit end of the stick. There's a, a blogger called uh, Karen Strawn. She, uh, she does videos from a decidedly anti-feminist perspective. And she uh, ran this blog, this vlog series for years called Girl Writes What? And one of the videos that I bring up discussing this sort of thing is the myth of male disposability. Um, and it's, I think that's what it's called. Uh, I normally just send the link, but it's where she goes over the fact that men don't get to complain about this. Men don't get to be represented as the primary victims of brutality. Men are the, still the only ones expected to be drafted. Uh, men are the primary victims of world violence. So to claim that that it's going to be different in this industry is fallacious. It's not. It's not different here. The women in those like situations just typically don't ask men their experiences. And men who give their experiences will typically say, yeah, they talk shit. They talk about how they're going to fuck my mother. They talk about how they're going to kill me. They talk about how I'm going to be the victim of some kind of violence. And I brushed it off because it's a game. And ultimately, that's the way it is in the real world, too. For instance, look at the Amber Heard Johnny Depp situation where she punched him. She was on audio recording, admitting to this. And she, you know, kept on trying to gaslight him and make it seem like the situation was less. She cut off the tip of his finger. She would regularly take pictures of him in compromising positions and then later use that as evidence against him in court when the evidence entirely pointed against her. Um, Ultimately, uh, she got to keep all of her jobs and give domestic violence speeches. He got all of his roles stripped from him and he has to fight to get them back now. Now, I um, want to stop you there um, because I, I definitely agree with you. And I did want both sides of this. So yeah. and I think it, it's we're definitely I mean, we're going off of games, but I like where we're going. So we're going to do whatever we want. and We can, you know, keep doing more shows so we can, you know, get everything out about the gaming industry and maybe get into actual Gamergate later. But I, I like what you're talking about. And it's very true. Um, you know, there is this idea that um, men cannot possibly be, you know, abused. They cannot be objectified. Um, and, and it's what happened when third wave feminism came along and totally took a really great idea and like 
flipped it around to uh, do what they had been done to them forever. And that's always wrong. Um, as, like as far as uh, military conscription, I, I think it is ridiculous. But also, I really hate when people say, well, women should be drafted, too, because that's completely missing the point. Slavery should not be good for anybody. <laughs> I'm an anarchist. I oppose the right. the military, right. the police, the government. So I don't like um, slavery at all. So saying, right. well, let's make it right by enslaving women too. It's just like, yeah, yeah. that's missing the point. Nobody should be. So sometimes uh, a lot of status, they, that's their reaction. I get a lot of that. Like, oh, you wanted to be treated equally. Well, you better be able to take a punch from me. I'm like, that's, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Um, but you bring up the point in a really uh, good way. So there is definitely um, a bias against men. And so I could see how that could have played into, you know, the gaming industry, like, okay, well, if women report this, we should believe them because they're being objectified and sexualized. And um, it doesn't matter what men say because they can't be because they're men. So, Hody, what do you think about that point? Yeah, um, I, I guess I didn't expect I, I was keeping I was limiting my sp scope to video games. I know Jeremiah is kind of expanding it as far as there being some areas where men actually experience a greater amount of bias than women. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one could even look at streaming within video games. Uh, um, it is much easier if I post something under a male presenting persona, I will get less interactions than when I post something under a female presenting persona. People just like to hear what I have to say more coming from a female than from a male. So like there are certain like aspects that I can take and say this, but I mean, uh, Jeremiah even brought up the point like, oh yeah, they'll joke about raping my mom. Like that's just part of being in the game. Well, how often do they joke about raping your dad? Right. <laughs> like how, if you're, if you're a male, how often do they joke about having sex with you or like bouncing your tits everywhere or like, you know, riding frequently. You know, and you know what? Maybe your experience is frequently that you get threatened to get raped a lot or you, they want to see your tits all the time. Jeremiah, I, I would say for me and I, and we can move on from this subject, but I would just say and, and we can leave it as a disagreement, especially if you just say like the like every study needs to be fully dissected. We have a bunch of studies for me personally. I tend to find the ones just from my experience. I find the ones much more credible when they identify that you're much more likely to be sexualized as a female than, than as a male. Why? Um, that, that, um, because of my experience, like I said, like I, I have been dealing with a lot of this. I, I have my own streams. I am a gamer. Um, I do stream a lot and I have seen the when I am in a female presenting person's chat room, it is much different than the experience of a male presenting person's chat room as far as the comments that are directed at their looks, their gender, their sex, their, their like there's just a different conversation that's going on. I just witness it. And that's like I said, we can move on from that. That's just that is my experience when these women come forward and talk about their experiences. I don't think that there's going to be something as big as like the Ubisoft scandal towards men that's like being covered up because I think that women are being sexually assaulted more in the video games industry than the, than men are. Um, okay. If so, it, if it yeah. comes up and it turns out that men are being sexually assaulted at these video game companies, just as much as females are, then you know what? I will admit that I'm wrong. It's just the biggest scandals that we have are kind of like for me, Wait, I, so we're talking way. about sexual assault now? No, video game I, we're, we're talking, Jeremiah, I'm going to stop you right there. We're, we're going to be talking about actually video game companies that create the like, content creators and things like that now. So I think he's probably doing a little pivot there too. So we can talk about that a little bit. 
Um, but we never actually did get to, you know, what led up to this and Gamergate, which might be just kind of like um, some maybe conspiracy insider information stuff. So I know that you had some info on that. So what is Gamergate? Okay, so uh, just to be absolutely clear, um, and and like because I support ethics in journalism, I have to disclose that I was a part of that. Um, I supported the Gamergate. I did not know that. <laughs> I, I okay. supported I supported the Gamergate hashtag. Um, I helped boost information with it, um, and I was very much a supporter of the idea of ethics in games journalism. Now the reason the uh, tag was about that. Um, there were some people who were already upset, but like the tag wasn't really there yet. Um, when they suspected that a female developer who developed not a very good game called Depression Quest, uh, which was a text adventure from her decidedly limited perspective about what having depression was like. And it was really just like a role-playing session of role-playing as her. So it wasn't very good. Um, but somebody reviewed it positively, and it later came out that uh, that they were in a relationship together. Now, I'm not sure whether or not that was 100%, but I didn't come in there. I didn't come in with the Zoe stuff. That was pretty much irrelevant to me. When I came in, it was the result of the Game Journal Pros uh, leak. Game Journal Pros was a Google group of like 150 writers, bloggers, and editors um, from like a, a variety of like outlets, places like Hody mentioned, Kotaku, uh, uh, um, uh, Gawker, places uh, which were considered established, but only because the mainstream press sort of made them established, uh, who all ran the narratives that gamers are dead. They don't have to be your audience anymore. They were highly disrespectful, and their whole narrative was that uh, you don't have to cater to the group of people that basically brought up the industry. Now, gamers didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that all this stuff was demonstrable, um, but they didn't quite know about the group yet. Uh, they could see the, the writing on the wall. They could see that everybody had this concerted effort, but only after this group was leaked did they start to actually get very angry as a group. Um, and this leak... Uh, was a leak of um, like so it was it was started by Ars Technica senior editor Kyle Orland and it was inspired by journalist. Um, so basically, they they uh, pinned down certain narratives. They had uh, a wide variety of articles that you could look at. Where uh, or sorry, I guess message rooms you could look at, which like keyed in on certain issues that everybody would talk about a little bit later. This is media collusion. This is creating one big media monolith, not disclosing that, and not disclosing the fact that they were all in on the same narrative, meaning that there, the, the space was saturated by their voice, which is the reason you get the misogyny angle for the Gamergate like sort of community, because these people were all on the same page anyway, and they already had the power. They already had the mainstream acceptance of their outlets. So when they say there's a problem, people believe them, regardless of any actual evidence. Um, 
And so like Polygon, Kotaku, Destructoid, The Escapist, Game Informer, Ars Technica, QVC, PC World, and IGN uh, were among the outlets that were responsible for this. And I'm reading this from the, uh, if any of you guys want more, you can get more on the GG wiki at deepfreeze.it. Um, but basically, like, that was what pissed me off. That was what engaged me. I was already a libertarian and I had already recognized a pervasive note of media collusion to push certain narratives, certain pro-war, pro-police uh, narratives that would boost the state, etc. And I already hated it. I was and like I've been a cynical pessimist for as long as I can remember. I think people suck and because people suck, they're going to make things worse. Um, and ultimately when it comes down to it, this was my way of potentially getting a new crowd to look at broader issues of media censorship and collusion. Um, so I got involved and I, you know, helped spread hashtags and uh, the primary hashtags that we used are gamers are not dead. Uh, things like uh, the Gamergate hashtag itself. Um, there was not your shield where a bunch of women and gender se sexual minorities uh, would say, hey, you know, you can't use me as a shield for criticism. This wasn't about me. This was about you guys deciding that you were going to collude. Um, and like it, it was a great moment, I think, for people to finally understand that they can stand up to these media giants and live to tell the tale. Sorry, I have to unmute myself. So, Hody, I know that you weren't completely on the inside of the whole Gamergate thing. What Do you have anything you want to say about that? What, what's really funny, real quick, is I think that you and Jeremiah uh, both have a lot of uh, same uh, political and world philosophies, but you couldn't be two more different people, <laughs> which I love. So what, what are your thoughts on this? What did you know about Gamergate when it was happening? Yeah, well, I mean, it takes all types. Jeremiah's a cool dude. We... Uh, it, we disagree on this, but this is like, I think it's a lot of that is like a matter of opinion and perspective. And I think we both agree that if we were to take case by case and be like, that's bad, that's good, we would probably agree most of the time. I think we might just have differences of opinions as far as like how systemic it is or, you know, but that, I mean, like I said, that's, that's fine. It, it's a debate that I'm fine to have, but it's also a debate of luxury and not something that I find like is going to be like, I'm never going to talk to him ever again, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, <of course>. yeah <laughs> right. So like, um, as far as like where it stems from itself, um, it started, uh, uh, Jeremiah mentioned it, like this video game called uh, Depression Quest. It's a text-based game. That sounds horrible. Um, I'm be honest, I don't play video games. So I would never play. <laughs> no, like the, here's the thing. I actually did another article. In fact, my introductory article, um, when I first got into the industry, I was accepted based on, on an article that I wrote about how mental illness is dealt with in video games and actually really kind of positive way and like video games that are make like that are taking the lead on helping people deal with mental illness and saying it's okay it's okay and these things are great you know what i mean like i i encourage this now that doesn't mean all the games are high quality right this is a text focus you know game um puts people in different scenarios and has them make different decisions that can lead to depression um and like you said you can debate the merits of the game or not um the girls um so i shouldn't say girls zoe goes by they and and that's a i'll admit this is just a hard pronoun for me to do but um i'm not worried about that <laughs> yeah but like and, and I, I just say that because i i mean no disrespect it's my shortcoming 
I acknowledge their pronouns. I'm not trying to like be a jerk when, if I, if I accidentally say she absolutely, that's on me, not on, on uh, them. But uh, what happened is they did have a sexual relationship. It, it uh, studies are done. I mean, there's multiples here that, that in, in fact, even her boyfriend later would admit that it was not during the same time frame that sank up. And it also was not for a full review. That should be stressed out because a lot of people are like she's sleeping with people to get better reviews. Her post, or her game was mentioned in a positive way in somebody who was within the industries. Uh, um, there, it's a reporter for Kotaku's name's Nathan Grayson, um, but he he did mention it favorably within the text of another uh, of something else. Um, would he have mentioned it at all had he not had the relationship with Zoe? I don't know. The, 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 the timing, like I said, didn't really sync up to one of those things that would be like, oh, we're having a sexual relationship. Okay, let me write something positive. It would be like, I wrote something positive and that led to a sexual relationship. Like I said, even the boyfriend kind of like took a step back from it a little bit, but that it existed and it was out there. Now, there is absolutely an inappropriate relationship going on just in general between reviewers and, and I, sh- I don't even say reviewers because that places too much onus on them, but I want to say review outlets and people that make video games, like producers. And, and that is one of those things that, I mean, people will even joke by like, oh, I gave their game one bad review because I didn't like this one. And guess who didn't get a free copy to review this next time around? You know, like, like they know there's an inherent threat if you're not ranking video games very well. There's kind of this, um, they're blowing the lid off of things. You know, I, IGN, I think is probably the most famous for giving everybody like a 10 out of 10 because they don't want to make anybody mad. Um, because we, we want the copy of your next game that we get. So like, there's absolutely I, something to explore. Sorry, let me ahead. just ju- I think you're jump my, in yeah, real quick. Let me yeah. just jump in real quick and <laughs> say that IGN gives 10, 10 out of 10 to people that they, that they like. They, they will constantly shit on whatever they want with no merit as long as they feel that they can get something out of, out of it. Like, if they feel that they can get a bunch of clicks because they said a Sonic game was bad, then they'll do that, which is why they constantly rate them unfairly and why in a panel of IGN writers, they, they, they were, like, famous for saying Sonic was never good. So, I mean, IGN is just a shit review company. Like, I don't... I don't care who that hurts. IGN sucks so much ass. <laughs> There's <Are> a, you- <laughs> a, no, I mean, there, there is more bad. Like, here's the problem, especially like, because of some, like he, Jeremy, Jeremy, I mentioned the relationship part. There's, there is some very much like, I like these people. I don't like these people. And I make a living on that. Like, oh, it's a Ubisoft game. I'm going to hate it or love it no matter what. Now, look, we've all got like, favorite kinds of games but the reason you make a whole company is so that you have like all those ideas represented so like when i i think and i'm sure jeremiah has seen this before there'll be like a reviewer who does isn't good at first person shooter games Mm -hmm. that reviews a first person shooter game you're like did you have nobody at your company that like likes first person shooter games Mm -hmm. rts is another big one i don't know like i usually play you know you know, uh, first person shooters, but this is an RTS and I hated that. I wanted to be first person the whole time. And they'll like write a review on that. And you're like, what is this? This is, this is garbage. Like it, it, it's like going to like a modern art museum and being like, well, I hated all modern art. So obviously the whole museum sucked. It's like, well, then you don't mm-hmm. get it. Why didn't you, why did you do this? Like, and, and um, I, I don't want to skip over this. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit before we rewind and talk about 
uh, some some more like the details and like things that happened because of the Zoe Quinn incident. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gamergate was originally called like the Quinspiracy. <laughs> um, so really, it, like there's a lot more to talk about there. But just when we fast forward, when we're talking about the relationship between reviewers and producers, it kind of got the lid blown off of this last year with The Last of Us Part Two because people gave it really good reviews because they were only allowed to review certain sections of the game that had been polished. Uh, I wrote a big review about it. I did not care for the game. And I even had problems with the, a lot of people were like, well, yeah, the plot was bad and there's plot armor and the characters weren't very good and they were kind of contrived, but like it was technically flawless and really it was only technically flawless. There are literally rules that say you are not allowed to review this part of the game. Mm-hmm. You are not allowed. And, and and they can say it's because of spoilers, but there's certain segments when you're like walking through the jungle and you'd be like, well, the lighting, you know, at the beginning, the part that I am allowed to review when I, when there's a tree overhead and the sun is peeking through the light is beautiful. Like this is fantastic. And then you go through a part where you're like in a basement and the light, like there's a light source, but there's no actual light there. And you're like, Oh, well something's messed up with the lighting at this part. You're not allowed to review that part. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, that is massively problematic. That's not part of, and there's a massive spoiler to delivering Last of Us Part Two, which I understand why you would say, hey, I don't want people talking about this, but that's been very much abused to say like, I want you to review the part of the game that was really good not, and the, not the part that was problematic. And there was a lot of honest game journalists who said, I am not going to review this game until it comes out and I'm allowed to review the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to review it in the whole thing and consequences be damned. I'm just going to tell you what I thought of it. And you know what? I- I'm going to tell you it's bad. I might not even be allowed to tell you why I think it's bad because I signed this contract to agree to not review these certain things. But I'm just going to tell you that I didn't enjoy it. It's bad. And I can't say why. And yeah. these people, I mean, for it's something that's getting fixed, that is getting better. But it is something that last year kind of came to a head. And so this has been going on for a while. Sorry, go ahead, Trisha. So, no, I'm sorry to interrupt there. I just, to that point, are there um, a lot of independent reviewers that people listen to? Do they have any type of voice? Yeah. So thankfully, like because of this incident, while the Last of Us 2 incident was really tragic, like I, I think it is very sad. And, and if you enjoyed the game, that's fine. I'm not even saying like your opinion's irrelevant. There's just certain parts where it's like, kind of like clearly there was a problem and, and nobody was allowed to say anything. And I don't like that. And there's even people that like the game that called out that kind of inappropriate review hara- uh, threat. I, I don't know, like a uh, uh, quid pro quo, I guess you give us a good review, you get the next game. You don't give us a good review. You don't get the next game. Um, but there were a lot of independents. In fact, the ones that said, Hey, look, I didn't like it. And I'm going to tell you exactly why have kind of like quadrupled their audience size. Cause what people are realizing is exactly what Jeremiah said. IGN numbers are down. Whereas, you know, people like, I mean, even just basic YouTubers, angry Joe show skill up, um, you know, the, these, these type of people who said, look, I did not like the game and I'm willing to say it. And I'm willing to say that these rules are, are threatening and they are wrong got their numbers way up. And so people are voting with their feet. It takes a while, especially when you're established as like IGN is that, you know, to, to, for people to leave, but it is happening. And so like a lot of those independent reviewers have received like quadruple the numbers that they had before, specifically because of this incident last year. But this has been going on for a while. Like, like Gamergate happened in 2014, this inappropriate relationship between reviewers and, the people reviewing the game has continued the entire time. Now I did make clear that that's not what happened in, in like the incident of Zoe, 
But I think Jeremiah makes a point when he says like, this was kind of like all of its misogyny because I don't want to deal with a certain issue. That is absolutely the case. People did not want to deal with their inappropriate relationship, threatening relationship over reviewers because they just want to be like, oh, well, now I can hide behind y'all are sexist and I, and I get to kick my feet up and relax. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that is accurate. Um, <clears throat> Jeremiah, to that point, Cody brought up um, something interesting, which is kind of what got me interested in this. Obviously, is not somebody who's a gamer or anything. Um, it seems like you've got these large media corporations that put out some things, and then you've got a few independents popping up, with, and they're getting gaining more popularity. And it really reminds me of... Um, alternative media and the mainstream media. And do you worry that uh, what will happen to a lot of alternative media outlets will happen to these independent voices and they'll get silenced somehow? Well, see, first off, the thing to remember is that there were a lot of freelance writers in the Game Journal Pros groups. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, of independent people, uh, independent, who were, who were also along for the ride. Uh, independent and indie in general is largely a misnomer. It's mostly a brand. Um, Like, ultimately, a lot of these people weren't very independent to begin with. And when you sign a review embargo, which is what Hody is talking about, um, you become dependent. You become dependent on the way that the the contract is written uh, in order to sustain your life. And especially if that becomes your bread and butter, I review these games first before anybody else, because I got a copy, but I'm not allowed to say shit because the, the, the contract says something separate. Um, that's part of it. But the rest of it is the fact that a lot of independent people uh, didn't like the fact that other independent people didn't share their opinion. So they cited with the mainstream media they took the mainstream media's side and helped boost this narrative um, because it helped them avoid any sort of criticism. It helped them avoid the actual debate necessary to prove their points. It helped them uh, avoid criticism entirely by saying, hey, we're with these people and these people are all saying this. They can't be wrong, right? Well, they can. The history of media is corruption. The history of media is being a toady for the establishment. The history of media is taking money from the government. Wait, are you telling me that it's not the other branch of the government? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, so the history of media is corrupt. And and, and like Operation Mockingbird, for those people who don't know, because like I'm not just a gamer or a gamer gator. I'm an anarchist conspiracy theorist primarily. And so this all connects for me. Operation Mockingbird was uh, one example of a time when the CIA said no to manufactured stories. But that doesn't actually prove that it's not real. That doesn't prove that it wouldn't happen, right? Um, And so, like, anarchist conspiracy theorists have a term for the sort of media that obviously comes from the state, and that is the uh, the Mockingbird press. And... um, we call them that because the media has for a long time parroted the establishment narrative, whatever that may be. In this particular case, a lot of people were getting a lot of media notoriety and a lot of positivity in the gamer spaces who the mainstream didn't want you to like. Um, people who had alternative opinions on X, Y, and Z, who didn't like go with the prevailing opinion on X, Y, and Z. So this was sort of an excuse to silence anybody who the media did not fall into lockstep with. 
the mainstream media got to write the script and anybody who went off script was a misogynist. Um, mm -hmm. And I experienced this many times because I can bring, and like, this is my experience. I can bring up supporting Gamergate or I can simply have the hashtag in my bio and have immediately all of my opinions discarded um, because I support Gamergate. Um, this is the case literally like I would say 90% of the time. And most of the people who supported Gamergate before don't talk about it anymore. It was a thing and now it's not, even though the problems are still persisting and in fact have probably gotten worse because these outlets are still here. Now, a lot of, I should say, some of the outlets that did participate in the Gamers Are Dead narrative are basically dead. I think Gawker filed for bankruptcy and uh, and like a lot of these media outlets have basically lost a lot of their funding because they kept on squeezing out the narratives. They weren't actually real. These narratives were squeezed out for the purpose of like filling budgets or getting clicks. For instance, want to talk Vice, I can talk about the <laughs> fact that uh, that a guy talked about the fact that his smart chastity cage was hacked by hackers and he had to pay like ransom or something in order to get it unlocked so that he could use his dick again. This is an Australian comedian called Lewis Spears and Vice ran the story uncritically through Motherboard. Vice is hacks. They're hacks. Gavin McInnes, who partially founded it, had mm -hmm. to distance and disavow, disavow Vice even though he liked it when it began because Vice are hacks. They're hacks. Uh, so it's 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 similar to how Glenn Greenwald has recently called The Intercept, an outlet he helped found, shit, because they do nothing but parrot establishment talking points and help them hurt poor people who don't actually have, like, any power or money, uh, like going after the small journalists who are, like, videotaping protests or going after people because they had an account on Gab. Um, these people are hacks. The mainstream media are a bunch of like uh, narrative parroting hacks who have formed their career out of getting information from established sources like the government, not asking any questions, uncritically reporting it and saying, this is the way it is. And it's no different in the gaming press, except that there's a lot less serious stuff to talk about because they're fucking video games. Yeah. Um, so they don't get taken as seriously as a threat, but they're still partaking in the culture war. And you know, I know you wanted to talk about like politics, whether or not it's downstream from culture, and it absolutely is, which means mm -hmm. that if you can control the gaming press, you can control a significant amount of the way people think about things. If they think they can't even relax to play a video game without enduring volleys of misogyny, then first off, the actual misogynists will be encouraged to continue because they're getting the attention they wanted. And second off, uh, the the problem may or may not actually exist, and it may be either manufactured or like highlighted in far too like statistically uh, great numbers for the actual data that exists. Uh, which is why outlets like Vice uh, aren't credible because of like the rest of the stuff that they do, and probably shouldn't be taken seriously unless they're willing to publish their methodology, which I doubt they did. Like. Uh, this documentary, I'm assuming it took primarily the perspective of women 
and like primarily focused on the women in the documentary rather than having an even keeled and 50 50 approach or at least something close to it where they showed men in equal amounts on camera and this is probably because if you heard some of the disrespectful things that men are called and tell each other um and then shake off you would realize that a lot of this problem is like the result of people's emotional response to things and maybe uh, if people didn't give the bullies the response they wanted, the bullies would walk away. As somebody who was bullied my entire childhood and regularly ignored because I'm a guy and I should just suck it up, um, uh, and and as somebody who has studied these sort of social issues from the male perspective quite a bit, uh, I can tell you men are often told to suck it up. Men are mm -hmm. often ignored. Men are often given the shaft. And that's what the mainstream media did in this case. They did that. And I'm not talking even necessarily about that angle. I used to be a lot more anti-SJW than I am now. But the, the, the primary thing that people should be concerned about is any sort of isolation and consolidation of media power. Because the more isolated and consolidated media power is, and the more it boosts the state and the establishment, the more fascist things become. All these SJWs who are on the side of the mainstream media should reconsider their title because there's no social justice in going with the prevailing narrative. You know, Jeremiah, that's funny you say that because um, a lot of people that claim to be Antifa um, really are fascists. <laughs> and they yeah. need to learn their wording and the correct definitions of terms. It's pretty funny. Um, Hody, I, I, we're probably going to wrap up here. Maybe sometime we'll get together and go a little farther on this. Um, but I think Jeremiah made an excellent point and was better at articulating it than I am because I saw um, the the Gamergate and before that what was going on in the gaming industry as kind of a little bit of a, an echo into the future of what would happen uh, politically and then also with media censorship. So if you want to talk about that or if there's anything that he said you might want to uh, expound on or anything you might disagree with. No, I think I think the thing is, is a lot of people, especially when you talk about Gamergate, it, there's a lot of like, I'm for it, I'm against it. Whereas I, I'm acknowledging that there's a problem with the relationships between reviewers, male and female. I think there's a problem with the high. We talk about hierarchies. I believe in like I accept voluntary hierarchy, I guess a lot of people might not. But I accept that like that can exist, but there is such a thing as a problematic versus like a voluntary like hierarchy. And there's like performance based versus not performance based and, and certain things like that. And I do think meritocratic. That, yeah. <laughs> so there's um, if you look at there's a study from like Ohio University that showed uh, they had a uh, same same game male versus female voices on the voice chat. And, uh, you know, they just be like, hey, how did this you know, male, how is this male treated? How is this female voice treated? And the female one received like three times as many um, negative comments than positive comments. Now, I do want to say this, that study was back from 2012. They've done similar studies today that shows that that gap is shrinking, which is a good thing. Um, I, I, I view that as a positive thing. There are changes that needed to come up because 2012 was two years before Gamergate hit. And I kind of blew the lid off of, man, this is the way women are being talked to, spoken to, and dealt with in video game. And, and I brought up a lot of like industry examples, but I can bring up a lot of, you know, like actual gaming examples as well. But like, this is what's happening to them. So uh, along with uh, Zoe Quinn, there's Anita Sarkeesian and uh, Brianna Wu. 
And those are kind of the three main women at the, the heart of Gamergate. Um, and they were, they had like home addresses leaked. <laughs> they had the, the, the overwhelming negative response towards them, whether you think earned or not, there's such a thing as like, I don't like them and I give them negative responses versus here's their home address. Here's where they live. Here's them, you know, hey, they're at the ice cream shop right now, threaten them. Uh, according to the FBI, and I actually just looked this one up too, Brianna Wu still goes under a, um, she still, I, I guess, goes under a different name and is still under their like active watch because the threats against her are so hostile. Now, can I definitively say that that is because of sexism? I don't think anybody, because here's the thing, when we talk about sexism and misogyny, that's something in somebody's heart. That's hard for me to say, this is why. That being said, I don't see the same level of violence against the person who worked at Kotaku. You know, I don't believe he still has to hide, he has to hide under a secret identity. I don't believe he has to, you know, cover up his face when he goes out in public. Did he experience a little bit of shame from some people? Yeah, of course. But it's not something that's hung over him the rest of his life. Whereas like in, in some of these cases, this is their new, this is kind of who they are now. Now, some people use that as a red herring to say, I don't want to do anything about any of these legitimate problems. And if you do want to do something about it, you're a sexist, you're a misogynist. And it's like, no, I, I, I can have a problem with the way females are spoken to in gaming and the way females are treated at, at the workplace without without with and and still want to fix these underlying issues you know regarding relationships and reviews and hierarchies within the video game industry i do believe i i guess you know if these are my closing statements i just want to say that i do see this as something that is improving and that has gotten a great deal better i do see us as getting more welcoming i think there are certain along with sexism there's kind of some racist elements that are that are getting weeded out as well and I do think it's getting better. I, I believe I truly believe that because, like I said, having been a gamer since I've been a kid and then actually working within the industry, I can say that I I find there's finally become a time's up for people that regularly use gay slurs. There's finally a time up for people that regularly use sexist slurs. Now, uh, if you if you called somebody gay in a derogatory way five years ago and it got caught on video, I don't think anybody would think anything of it. Now it happens. And if the developers find out, you will be probably banned from the platform. You will be publicly shamed on social media. Now you can disagree whether banning and shaming somebody is the best way to deal with like sexist or racist remarks, but at least it's something that is developing a reaction versus something that's just like, yeah, it's just, it's what happens when you play games. Because I want gaming to be for everybody. I really love, I, I think video games are important. I think they teach a lot of positive messages. I know my life has been impacted positively because of video gaming. And when it's unintentional gatekeeping, when somebody says, no, I want all video games to have these tropes. I want all these, I, I want the gaming environment to recognize that when I tell somebody to get back in the kitchen, it's always funny or that, you know, show me your boobs is always funny. It's always going to be a good joke. And I demand that it stay that way. I think that those people are doing a tremendous disservice to women who we would have a closer connection to if we welcome them into gaming. And, that, and that's all I got to say. Thanks for, uh, Thanks for having me on. All right, guys. <laughs> so I have something to say here real quick. Okay. Well, we're going to, let's go ahead and do that. And then after you're done with that, we're going to find out where people can um, find you, subscribe to you. 
Sounds like a plan. I'll try to make it fast. I need breakfast. I haven't eaten that yet. Um, so, uh, I'll just go in the kitchen and make you a sandwich. Yeah, right. No, uh, <laughs> I, I make actually very good sandwiches. One of the jokes that I that I told with a female friend of mine is that if she bought some ingredients, I'd make this uh, go and go in the kitchen and make her a sandwich. And it was a very good sandwich. So, <laughs> um, uh, the, the the general thing is, Gamergate was mostly not about Anita Sarkeesian and Brianna Wu, nor is it mostly about Zoe Quinn. The idea that this centered around those three women is part of that mainstream media narrative lie. Uh, it was mostly just holding media organizations accountable and trying to uh, boost actual good parties, like with Op Skynet and shit. Um, Ultimately, it led to the rise of much greater accountability in gaming press. It let some of these independent voices start to thrive. Uh, it let these narratives start to be broken down. And ultimately, people who claim that it was all negative or that it was centered around these women either don't know enough about it or aren't being honest. And I'm assuming it's the prior with you because like a lot of the stuff that I discussed today, it seemed new to you, Hody. I'm not trying to say not knowing about it. It's like a mark against you. I'm just saying that that's probably the case because I was there when it happened. I was in the teeth of it. And what I can tell you is that the reason people were upset with Anita and Brianna was primarily because uh, it fell in with the already existing uh, distaste they had for the media. They were media figures. They chose to be public figures and they got criticism as public figures. That criticism as public figures will lead people to generally do things that are distasteful. I've personally had lots of death threats, lots of people angry with me for what I say online. Do I blame sexism against men? No, I blame shitty people doing shitty things. But like Brianna Wu, she created a fake account called Drake Harper to make gamers look more sexist so that she could complain about it. Uh, it was called at bro lulls. Uh, it, it tweets from that account included the death scenes in Tomb Raider. Give me an erection, but that doesn't make me a misogynist and boobs are pretty and I want to touch them, bro. Things like that. She is a disingenuous liar who has lost political office runs multiple times because nobody actually gives a fuck about her. Um, that's the truth about Brianna Wu. She'll block anyone who criticizes her. And it's truly, truly sad that anybody considers her a voice at all. Um, but like, to be very clear, Anita is a broader voice in this subject. And Anita ran a series that she crowdfunded called Tropes Versus Women in Video Games. She crowdfunded that fucking so long ago. And it's still not complete. It's still not complete because she has to weave these bullshit, bullshit agendas into these works of, of absolute narrative fiction. Uh, like she, she's famous for this line in, in, in uh, a Batman game review, uh, like a segment of like the male gaze where she says that Batman's cape acts as a, as a, as a pricey piece of Wayne industries tech designed to hide his ass. Um, and then she she discusses the fact that female characters in games have their ass exposed. What she didn't go over is that that was a skin and that there were many skins which were in skin tight suits, the kinds of which uh, she would say would be sexist if they were on a woman. Anita is a hack. She doesn't speak for anybody. 
Uh, and the people who agree with her are agreeing with her because they already had this narrative of sexism baked into their brain, not because she's right. Anita is wrong, but Anita and Brianna weren't the center of any of this. What they were were people who already worked in established media and who the establishment media propped up as figures. So, of course, if they're propped up as the figureheads, they're going to be treated as the head on the Hydra. And people are going to try and cut that off successfully, I might add, because most people don't give a fuck about anything they say anymore. And because every time they tweet, it's considered yet another hack statement from hacks. Even people who supported the project, some of them don't even support tropes versus women anymore because they're like, where's the beef? Where's mm -hmm. all these episodes you promised? Why did you lie? But this, this isn't considered. None of this is considered in the anti-Gamergate narrative of Gipper Goobers are just misogynist evil people, racist, 4chan, every, everything is bad. Um, this well, isn't you know considered. what the good news is, Jeremiah? Hmm? That it's on Ginger, you know, so everybody's going to know. <laughs> right? Um, but we're probably going to run time down here. Um, and I would like to get back together and talk a little bit more about this sometime. I loved having you guys on. Thank you for your knowledge and expertise on these areas and for, you know, your willingness to come on and put up with a little bit of my ignorance on it. I found it very fascinating, actually. But Jeremiah, you are an independent media voice. Where can people find you? What do they what do they type in? Um, where would you like them to go first? Uh, I mean, you can just find a general list of the places I'm at. Uh, at cointr.ee slash insanity is free. Uh, I have all my links there. I'll be forming a, a different link syst system with my website soon, but my website is also listed there. But you can generally find my my internet presence on that site. And I advocate every anarchist pick up uh, uh, their own link uh, sort of tree set up on that site because it's run by an anarchist. It like accepts cryptocurrency donations. And uh, ultimately, it's good to have a, a hub in case you're censored for saying the wrong thing about the right people. Um, so, uh, and it's run by Naomi Brockwell. It's a good project. I support it. So cointr.ee slash insanity is free is where you can just find a list of where I am. Awesome. Hody, where can people find you right now? Sure. You can find me anywhere on social media. Hody Johns, H-O-D-E-Y-J-O-H-N-S is how that's spelled. You can also find me. I write for uh, Valnet. They run Game Rant, The Gamer, Screen Rant, Comic Book Resources, all that. Um, but I, I, uh, if you search for Hody Johns, you'll probably end up finding me there if you just Google my name. So if you're interested in my video game stuff, that's where you go. I also am on the We Are Libertarians Network. I do a podcast called Enemy of My Enemy, where we have left, right, and center libertarians all get together and debate about current events and hot topics. It's a very, it's a fast show. Uh, it flies by. A lot of good debate and a lot of good discussion there. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on today. Um, again, people... <clears throat> I am not a professional gamer. <laughs> and so I hope that you did get something out of this uh, topic today. And I would close by saying what I always do. I wish you peace, grace, and fuck the state.